It's the greatest story ever. It's good news of great joy. Christmas. Come on. It is the greatest story ever. It doesn't need to be modified. It doesn't need to be refurbished. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be enhanced. Just needs to be told. It's true this morning that it's the greatest story ever. It's been true in every century. It was true 111 years ago when the first words ever spoken on the radio were the words we're about to read tonight. Reginald Fessenden invented the AM radio and first, at first all it could do was transmit Morse code, which in that day was a big deal. They were, they were happy with it. But he was one of the chief inventors for Thomas Edison and he'd worked out a new way of communicating so that ships all up on the Atlantic and the northern seaboard could hear the tapping of Morse code through this little box called the AM radio. And Reginald Fessenden had even done a transatlantic transmission of the Morse code. But on Christmas Eve 1906, he'd been improving his invention and he'd gotten it to where it was ready, he thought, to transmit the human voice. And so with no press release, no social media update, No email blast, no news media, just in the silence of AM radio. On Christmas Eve in 1906, Reginald Fessenden opened his Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke was a, a really smart guy. He was an intellectual. He was a doctor. And he decided to go through and he says, I'm just going to create a comprehensive account of Jesus' life. So I'm going to talk to eyewitnesses. I'm going to dig deep in this thing. I'm going to research and investigate this and put together a comprehensive account of Jesus' life. And he did that. But can you just imagine with me for a moment that if you're a ship captain and you're somewhere out on the Atlantic and every now and again you hear the to tap, tap, tap. Tap, 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 to tap, 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 coming from this box. And I don't know what I just said right there, so don't try and figure that out. But all of a sudden, then you start hearing a human voice speaking to you from this box saying, good news of great joy, glory to God in the highest, all alone on Christmas Eve. And you may have heard it before, but can I just jar you out of the familiarity and be amazed at the words that Luke has put together after his research, guided by the Holy Spirit. Luke 2, starting in verse 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 
That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. So the first Christmas wasn't all silent and quiet. No, there were shepherds freaked out and scared to death. And these shepherds were the lowest class in society. They weren't even able to go and worship in the temple because they were declared unclean because of their job. And wouldn't that be like God to make his announcement to the people who they said you can't even worship. And he says, no, this is for all people. This is for everyone. And so they're shaken in their shepherd's robes. So much so that the angel has to say what angels usually say first is don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. When the world looks at this book, they see dull, they see out of date, they see constricting. But throughout these pages is good news of great joy that has brought freedom to so many. But there's an equation that if you're not experiencing great joy on the inside, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of what someone has done to you, Regardless of your situation today, if you're not experiencing on the inside great joy, it may be because you have disconnected from the good news, because it's the good news that brings great joy, and we have great joy when we are living in the good news. And the hope is that it's for all people, regardless of who you are, what you make, what your race is, what you've done, or what circumstance you find yourself in, everyone can experience the miracle of Christmas. There is no one left out of this story. Then the angels come with the message they have brought. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This is Christmas right here. This is the heart and soul of the Christmas season, and today it is exactly what we need. Do you know what day God decided to do all this? Do you know what day this announcement was made and Jesus was born and the the fulfilled promise of the Messiah after years of silence came? Do you know what day it was? Tax day. Are you kidding me? God decides to fulfill his promise on the worst day of the year, tax day. 
Maybe you've got so much money and so many accountants that April 15th doesn't mean anything to you, but when we think the culture of the first Christmas, it wasn't like December 25th, it was a whole lot more like April 15th. And Joseph and Mary aren't going to Bethlehem because it's going to be immortalized in the Christmas story or because they think that's a great place to give birth to Jesus. No, they would much rather be in their home. They're going to Bethlehem to take part in the census so Rome can tax the world. And they're surrounded by people who aren't very happy and there's no place for them to stay. And in the midst of all that, their lives have been drugged through the mud and they are clouded in scandal. If you're taking notes with me this morning, the the first Christmas, write this in, the first Christmas was a mess. It was chaos, it was crazy. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus are right in the middle of it. So we know today, we know that the Holy Spirit came to Mary and conceived this child within Mary and then uh, the angel came to Mary and Joseph and revealed to them what is happening and and how this has to happen this way because uh, Jesus is going to need to be fully God and fully man. But this is kind of a difficult thing to convince your friends and family of. In fact, at the time of Jesus' birth, these were their reputations. Joseph would have been known as a tzaddik. And then the Hebrew, that's for someone who's a righteous man, who studies, even memorizes the scriptures, serves God, helps the poor. He had a great reputation, but he became known as a hamharitz. And when you were called that, you were being called a perverted, godless Gentile. You're the worst of the worst. And Joseph, by marrying Mary, uh, lost his reputation. And Mary is pregnant outside of wedlock, and she's known as a nahafa, an adulteress. And Jesus would have been known as a mamzar, an illegitimate child. How amazing that Jesus' reputation at the time of his birth was an illegitimate child, but he would go and make a way for us to be known as our reputation today, the children of God. So if your life is a mess this Christmas, welcome to the club. Jesus says, I know. I know. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. I love this about Jesus. That when I cry out to Jesus, he says, I know what you're going through. I can relate. I've been through that. He sympathizes with us. Why did Jesus have to enter this mess? Why did his life have to be a mess? Why did Jesus have to suffer? Why did the king of kings who never did anything wrong, who lived this perfect life, why did he have to go through scandal and abuse and rejection, abandonment, and eventually death? When you think about Christmas, we really do well to think about it this way. That Christmas is God's eviction notice to death. Write that in. Christmas is God's announcement to death that your time is about to be over. He says, I'm going to put evil on my back and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to take the bullet for you. And I'll rise from the dead and in so doing that, be the first of all who believe in me to rise from the dead and claim their reward of eternal life with me. And the angels called it good news of great joy. The word gospel means good news. Good news. So if there's some good news, that must mean that there's some bad news along the way, right? And, and I think sometimes we're confused on what the bad news is. And I think what we've been sold as the problem is not really the problem. The problem 
We think the problem is that we're bad. I'm bad. You're bad. The world is bad. And we need to go to church to get good. Well, folks, that's the American dream. That's not God's dream. That's not God's hope for you. Because as good as you might get, it still won't solve the real bad news and the real problem. And that is that we are isolated from God. And without God in our life, we are dead. So your reputation may be that you're one of the good guys. And you've never done as bad of things as other people, or maybe you've done some really bad things, but now you've made up for it, and you're on a good track, and you've cleaned up your life, and you're one of the good guys, but that still does not solve the problem. And God says the problem is death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, the payoff of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're all sinners, and the reward for sin is a dead and dormant soul and the inability to have a relationship with God, isolation from God, and none of us have the power to get alive. It's one of the the side effects of being dead. You cannot do anything for yourself. And into this story, into this problem, comes the good news. Jesus says, I know that you're separated from me and I know that you're incapable of finding your way back to me and I can't stand it so I'm going to come find you. Even more than that, I'm going to step out of perfection and step out of heaven, out of holiness, into the mess and I'm coming for you. And here's why I'm coming for you. Because you're dead. If you were just bad, hello, I would have just sent you top 10 ways to get better. If you were just bad, I would have just sent you a story. If you were just bad, I would have just sent you the the track that you can go on to get better. But no, you're dead and you're left for dead and you're helpless and hopeless. So I'm going to need to come because just like you had nothing to do with your physical birth, there's nothing you can do to be born again. So I will take your place and I will take your sin and I'll die in your place. And I'll suffer your death for you. And I'll rise from the dead. So that then by the power of God, when I'm raised from the dead, by the power of God, you can be raised from the dead. So no matter who you are, and no matter how far you have fallen, it does not come anywhere close to how far Jesus went when he left heaven and came to earth. And whatever sin has done to you, God's grace can do ten times more because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And God brought us back to life through Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we identify ourselves with Jesus, when we believe that he is the way, that his sacrifice made a way for us to be right with God, when we take on the redemptive name that he's giving us, we are given eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, if you are hopeless, if you are helpless, if you are a mess, it's because this world and your sin has left you lifeless and you need new life in Christ. So this Christmas, will you unwrap the gift of life? Will you unwrap the gift of eternal life? This is what I want us to do right now. Let's just unwrap and unpack this gift. The first thing in this gift of life, if you're taking notes, it's love. 
The most famous verse in the Bible is the most famous verse in the Bible for a reason. It's the Gospel of John 3.16, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's his love for you that compelled him to do this. When you believe in Jesus for salvation and you identify yourself with him, you are like to him a lost kid who has come home. And if you've got kids, you know how much you love your kids. And God loves you the same way. In fact, because you've identified yourself with Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He's not mad at you. Listen, hell is not the place people go that God is mad at. That's not where he sends people he is mad at. Hell is a place people go to pay the wage for their sin. And God says, I paid the wage for you. I want you in heaven with me. Would you identify with Jesus? Would you believe in Jesus so you don't have to pay the wage for your sin? Love actually means that I don't put the pressure on another human being to love me the way that God loves me. I let God love me, and that gives me the power to love an imperfect person. And I let God love them, and that gives them the power to love me, an imperfect person. If you want to know if God loves you, don't look at your circumstance this Christmas. Don't look at your situation. Look at the manger. Look at the cross. Look at the scars and try to tell me that Jesus doesn't love you. Jesus loves you. He wants to make a way for you. He doesn't want you to have to pay the wage for your sin. And he wants you in an eternal home with him. The second thing this gift of life is, is indwelling. The living God of the universe wants to take up residence in you. He wants to live in you. And all our hopes and dreams are fulfilled. If they're all fulfilled, all all your goals in life, everything you want, If you get it all and still don't have God, it's worthless. There's still an emptiness. And God says, I want to do a big work in you. Look at this verse with me. A guy by the name of Paul is writing. And he says, I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so I could be God's man. And Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. It is lived by the faith in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. And I've seen this time and time again. I grew up in a family of Christians. And served churches in the Midwest. And that's one reason why I love this church so much. And I love this area so much. I've seen the church do amazing things. I love the church. And through all those encounters with those different people. And all those different Christians. I began to recognize growing up. That for some believers being a Christian was a lot of work. And it showed. They were stressed out, they were grumpy, they were controlling, while for others, 
being a Christian was actually enjoyable. In fact, it looked like a lot of fun. And through the sermons and through conversations with my parents and through reading scripture, I learned that for some, being a Christian is all about trying to be good. So they were wearing themselves out while trying to make sure they were doing good things, not doing bad things, and that everyone around them was checking the right boxes. All the while, God is showing us that without Jesus in our life, we're incapable of pleasing him, and you can check all the right boxes, and what does it matter? That without him, we're spiritually dead, but through his resurrected life, we can have eternal life in heaven and real life on earth. And this indwelling life that Jesus has given us gives us hope in hopeless situations, joy in sorrow, and light in darkness. And when you unwrap God's love and indwelling, it means, write this in, you get a whole new family. God wants to give you a spiritual family called the church, a group of people that we can do life with and lean on and encourage and laugh with. Rockbrook, we're, we're not trying to be an event. We're trying to be a family. A guy in our church emailed me a few weeks ago and said, this is the first time in my life that I've been going through what I'm going through with a church family. And that's what Jesus offers you. Look at what he said to his followers. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What will prove it? Our love for one another. What will prove that we have the indwelling of Jesus, that Christ is in us, that we love him, that we are saved? What will prove it? Our love for one another. Not our great arguing skills on social media. Not our yelling back at culture. If you're looking for a church family, we'd love to have you. We're not perfect, but if you go out and find a perfect church, please do not join it. You'll mess it up. (laughs) Finally, the E. Life from Jesus means expression. Life from Jesus will be expressed in your life. Galatians 5.23 tells us, but the Holy Spirit produces. Let's pause right there. You don't produce it. I don't produce it. God, the Holy Spirit, does this produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. Love will manifest itself with joy. Joy means we rise above our circumstance to see what God is doing in us. Peace, we live in a bitter, angry world. We need peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all good things, but what happens is we start here and we try to force these things on our life from the outside, and Jesus says, no, I want to put something on the inside that's going to produce this if you'll trust me and believe in me. This is what God produces in our lives when we stop trying to appear righteous and instead identify and believe in Jesus. This is who God is. He's a life giver. So 30 years ago, last October, there was an incident in Midland, Texas that turned into a story that gripped our nation. And it was uh, in 1987 that a toddler named Jessica McClure, an 18-month-old, fell into a well. And I hadn't heard this story before. I recently heard it as it was the 30th anniversary of how she became known as Baby Jessica. And Baby Jessica was playing hide and seek when she discovered an eight inch well casing and down she went and became stuck 22 feet below ground. 
And once people discovered that baby Jessica was in the well, they took immediate action, but there was no way to get her. There's no way to drill out the well bigger or wider to where someone could rappel down and get her. She's an 18-month-old toddler stuck. You can't throw her a rope. There's no way to get her. So what they had to do was drill into the rocky ground next to the well, parallel to that well, another well big enough that someone could go down, drill down those 22 feet, and then jackhammer over, open up that well, get her, and then pull her out. And rescuers worked nonstop for 58 hours to free her. And at one point in the rescue efforts, they stopped drilling to hear what baby Jessica was doing. And what baby Jessica was doing was singing Winnie the Pooh. Totally helpless. Totally alone. And after 58 hours of drilling and problem solving, a paramedic rappelled down that hole, went across to Jessica, bandaged her, and brought her up. And in all the chaos of that moment, a guy by the name of Scott Shaw took a photo that ended up winning a Pulitzer Prize. And the reason it's a prize-winning photo is that when people saw that, a whole nation went, oh. Because when one person is in mortal danger, we know exactly what has to be done we got to make a way. we got to save them. And when God looked down at the well of darkness and death we had fallen into, he saw a whole world of people in mortal danger. All of humanity has fallen into darkness and the death of sin. And what did God do? He did not tell us to find our way out. He did not give us a list of things to do to get out of our well. He didn't throw us a rope. He didn't shout down happy thoughts. No, he understood we did not need self-help. We needed help from heaven. So God in heaven made a way where there was no way. And he came down to where we were and rescued us. And we celebrate Christmas because it was at Christmas time that the rescuer of all mankind came to save us from the hopeless situation we were in. God did not stay in heaven. He came down to where we are. And so just a couple of months ago, but 30 years after that event, after Jessica fell into that well, she was interviewed. And the headline that went across our nation again was a statement from her in that interview where she said, my life is a miracle. And Jessica, I don't know if you know this or not, but you just captured the attitude and articulated the gratitude of every Christian this Christmas. That I was hopeless and helpless and I don't deserve my life. It's a miracle. It's a gift. I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. I didn't impress anybody to get it. I didn't earn God's love. It's a miracle. It's a gift. I should be dead in a well, but God loves me and he came down and rescued me and he's so close that he's in me and he's given me a family and now by the power of his spirit, I walk in the light and the life of Jesus' name. See, God, the eternal son, 
entered the mess so that my life could become a miracle. It's a miracle. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for being a way maker and making a way for us to know you and be loved by you. And God, we're just embarrassed for the times that we've looked at our salvation and been prideful or thought that we had something to do with it other than believing that you had everything to do with it. So we humble ourselves and we thank you for the gift of life. And there may may be someone in here right now who you have never before trusted Christ for salvation. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It's just a way to make a move and declare that you believe it. And it's simple. You don't have to come down front. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you do anything. No one else is watching, just me. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. And if that's you today, you say, I I believe it. I come to a place where I believe it. Jesus is who he says he is. He lived a perfect, sinless life I could never live. He died in my place on the cross. And he rose from the dead and he's alive today. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. Yes, God loves you. God, we love you, we believe you, we worship you, and we thank you for being our help from heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.